0: And we come this morning, really Acts chapter 2 is the birth of the church. It's the most important, essential thing that happens for the church that we know today, the church that we're involved with today. And it has a lot of history to this. And so today's going to be a little bit of a history lesson as well, because we're going to go back and see where Pentecost was prior to this and, and how important all of that is and there's this is Pentecost and and there's so much misunderstanding about Pentecost that that we're going to see what really happens, and we're going to see what 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 those effects really are, because there's so much about this that uh, that <clears throat> has is still misunderstood today. so let's read Acts chapter two. It is up here behind me, but Acts chapter two we're going to read. Verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, In Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of our God in our own language, in our own tongue. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying one one to the other, What does this mean? But some sneered and said, well, they're just drunk on new wine. So let's look first at the context here. Because I want you to notice the huge shift between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. In in Acts chapter 1, the disciples are waiting for the promise. In Acts chapter 2, the promise comes. In Acts chapter 1, the the disciples are equipped by Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, they are equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit. In in chapter 1, they're held back. Remember? Wait here. In chapter 2, they're sent out. They're sent forth. In chapter 1, Jesus ascends into heaven. And in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends from heaven to earth. So you see, this is a, a turning point. Acts chapter 2 is a turning point, And it's literally, literally the beginning of the church we know today. So let me ask this question. As you think about what a church is and what a church does, now I think we could probably all agree that the mission of the church is to, to show Jesus to the world, to take the message of the gospel to the world. So what do you consider to be essential for that mission? We would start listing things like, well, we need programs and we need Bible studies and we need evangelism outreach programs and we need uh, a, a building to, to base all this in. And we need, now, none of those are bad things, but what did the original church have? The Holy Spirit and nothing else. They had no money, they had no building, they had no political influence or social influence, they had no outreach programs. They had nothing to, no service programs to help the poor or the needy or any of that. They had nothing but the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the essential for the church to be born. And I would submit to you that it is the essential for the church to survive today. The Holy Spirit is the one essential. So then, let's talk about Pentecost. And yes, I'm going to talk about the Exodus. Because Pentecost, like so many of the festivals and feasts in Judaism, comes from the Exodus. Passover, the first Passover, you remember, if you know your Exodus, and you should know your Exodus, the first Passover happens. And that is, they they put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and lentils so that the, the, the angel of death passes over them, hence the word, Passover, or the, or the title Passover. Well then, p- after Passover, that, that first Passover, they leave Egypt, and they go to the foot of the mountain, Sinai. And Moses goes up on the mountain and gets the law. He gets this on the 50th day after Passover. Pentecost literally means 50th. So, Pentecost is literally the 50th day after Passover. So the way the Jewish festival goes is we have Passover. Then you have the Feast of the Unleavened Bread immediately after Passover. Why the Feast of the Unleavened Bread? Because it shows the holiness and righteousness and purity that happens at Passover. What happens at Passover, that blood of the, the lamb shed, purifies. And so they have a feast of the unleavened bread showing that holiness that righteousness that purity then we have the feast of the first fruits and then the feast of weeks which the feast of weeks culminates in passover or I'm sorry in uh, in pentecost it culminates in this this celebration of the giving of the law pentecost so we can see in the, in in these in the in the festivals and feasts of the of Judaism we can see Christ can't we our passover lamb whose blood covers us who makes us holy and righteous and pure who then his first fruits he was the first fruit of the dead in his resurrection and then Fifty days later, we have this celebration of giving of the law, and what happens on that day? The giving of the Holy Spirit. The promise that he gave to Jeremiah, that he would write his law on our hearts. So you see, Pentecost is all tied in with Judaism. It's all tied in with the Exodus event. It's all tied in with the festivals and feasts. It, it matters not only that the Holy Spirit came on this day, it, it literally matters the day He came. Let me give you just another example. Again, if you know your Exodus, Moses goes up on the mountain to get the law, and what, what do the Israelites do? They build a golden calf and they start worshiping it, right? So Moses comes down from the, the uh, mountain, and God says, Send the, the Levites, the priests, through the crowd, and slay all those who are worshiping the calf. So Exodus 30, 32, 28 tells us that 3,000 were slain because of, of the priest going through. 3,000 were slain. Now, right after what we'll see next week as we look at the, the sermon of Peter, because Peter stands up right here and gives an amazing sermon right after this. And in chapter 2, verse 41, it says that 3,000 souls were added to the church. What an amazing coincidence, huh? You don't actually still believe in coincidence, do you? God wants us to connect these things. He wants us to see these connections. He wants us to see that he he has had this plan all along. The day of Pentecost is important because it is the birth of the church, but it is also important that it happens on the day of Pentecost. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he, he comes with signs. The first sign is the sound of a rushing wind. Now, this isn't interesting. First of all, you need to know that in Hebrew and Greek, the word for spirit and the word for wind are the same. So as we read uh, through, through Hebrew and, and, and Greek, the, the original language of the Old Testament and New Testament, we have to look at the context to see whether it's talking about the wind or about the Spirit, the breath of God, the Spirit. So, for instance, how did the world start? It started with the breath of God, the Spirit, hovering over the darkness, right? Then, then we get to Jesus, and the, the Spirit descends on Jesus as a dove out of his baptism. Then Jesus, in in John chapter 3, is having a discussion with Nicodemus. And Jesus, again, equates the Spirit with the wind. He says that the wind blows where it will, and that we can see the effects of it, but we can't see the wind itself. And then he says, so it is with those who have the Spirit. So he connects all of this. Jesus connects the, the wind and the Spirit for us. We can see the effects, but we can't see the wind. We can see the effects of the Holy Spirit, but we can't see the Holy Spirit. So Jesus connects all this up for us. Like the wind, the Spirit works as He decides, and, he, and what we get in our lives is the effects of it. We don't see the Spirit. We see what the Spirit does. And then just to point out, the, the, it, it's kind of a, kind of a, another crazy coincidence. Jesus in the Gospels is conceived and born of the Holy Spirit. Jesus ascends into heaven, and the body of Christ, the Church, is conceived and born of the Holy Spirit. So, does that does that connect the dots for you on what the Church is meant to be, the body of Christ? the physical representation of Christ on earth. That's what we are. Then it, then it talks about tongues of flame or tongues like flame. How did God call Moses? The burning bush, right? He speaks to him from, from flame that is not consuming the bush. Then how does God lead the people of, of, of his, his original chosen people out of Egypt, and across the wilderness in a pillar of smoke and fire. So we we just have, all the way through the Old Testament, we have the idea of flame, fire, being both judgment and guidance. And then we have the Holy Spirit coming in judgment and guidance here. Judgment on those who do not believe in Christ, guidance for those who do. Now, I would also point out here that the Holy Spirit comes on everybody there. Now, we automatically think, well, it's the original 12, right? It's the 12 disciples. But remember, from chapter 1, there's about 120 people here. Men, women, a bunch of people gathered. And the Holy Spirit comes on all of them, it says. Now... It comes on all of them equally. I mentioned last week, women are equals in Christianity. Equal Women and men are equals in Christianity. And here's more proof. The Holy Spirit comes equally to all of them. Men, women, rich, poor, educated, uneducated. That doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit comes on all who are believers. So how does that affect us today? Well, Have you ever thought in the back of your mind, well, that guy's got more of the Holy Spirit than I do because I just don't understand what he's he's talking about or I I could never do that. or That's just not biblically accurate. No, no one has more of the Holy Spirit than you do. No one. There might be some that are listening closer to the Holy Spirit, but nobody has more or less of the Holy Spirit than you do. He comes equally. So you get the, 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 in these first two signs, you get the rushing wind and the, and the tongues of flame. You get the idea of power, don't you? You can just feel the power of this. This is going to empower the church. This is going to be the power behind the disciples of Christ. And then we get to the speaking in tongues. And this is the part that's so often misunderstood. It is clear in the context that this is not some unknown language. In fact, verse 8 says, how is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? This is not some kind of unknown language or some language from heaven. This is, this is dialects and languages that are known to the people that are there. Paul does talk about heavenly languages in his letter to the Corinthians, but this is not the place to get that idea. This is clearly known languages of the people that are there. Known languages. So what does it mean? What, what, what is this What are the tongues? What does the, the no, native languages mean? Well, there's a lot of different theories. Jewish theologians understand this happening right here as a rebuke of the Israelites, the rebu- a rebuke of the Jewish people. Because remember, what, what God when God called them out of Egypt, he told them, you will be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, a people for my own possession. They were meant to show the world who God was. But what did they do? They locked it up in an obscure language of Hebrew. Hebrew is a, a difficult language and, and not spoken in, in, in all of the Middle East except in Jerusalem. And so they, they essentially locked up the message of, of God in their language. So the Jewish theologians see this as a rebuke of that, a rebuke of the Jewish people saying, no, he's our God, and the Holy Spirit saying, he is everyone's God. So we see that. Modern theologians mostly say, mostly think, that this is a reversal of the Tower of Babel. If you remember Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, the people are trying to build a tower so that they can become God. They're trying to build a tower high enough that they can become God. So God confuses their language so they can't work with each other anymore. So they can't keep building. So it it scatters the people. And and there is kind of an interesting thought process with this being a reversal of the Tower of Babel because God originally confused the languages to scatter the people, and now the Holy Spirit brings them all together by speaking to them in their language, whatever their language is. At, At Babel, the people could no longer understand each other. And so that's why God confused the language. Now they can hear the message of God in their native language. So it, 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 it's a reversal. The Tower of Babel was about people building themselves up to be God. And, and the Pentecost is God coming down to us. So you, you can see this as a, as a, uh, a reversal of the, the, the judgment on the Tower of Babel. But this is kind of an amazing sign. I mean, it, it talks about all the different people groups that are there. And they all hear the, hear the message of God in their language. You know, I was speaking on the phone with uh, uh, Faith Comes by Hearing Ministries. They're the, the military Bible sticks that we, we have gotten each year. You know how many languages they have those in? Over 1,400 languages on those military Bible sticks. Over 1,400. Think about everybody hearing the message of God in their language. How many how many languages are spoken just in the United States? Or just in Arizona? You ever watch those uh, TV shows that are set in Louisiana or, or Alabama or Arkansas? And they subtitle it, even though they're speaking English. Holy Spirit comes... Everybody hears the message in their language. It's incredible. It's an incredible sign. And it shows that the church is going to reach the world. The church is going to reach the world because everybody is going to hear the message of God in their native language. Every people group on earth. So this is this is the birth of the church that we we know right now, the church we have today. This is uh, the most important part of the history of the church. It is literally conceived and born of the Holy Spirit right here, the body of Christ. That tells us what our message, uh, what our mission is. It tells us who we are. This is an incredibly important part. Of, of, of faith and it connects us because it happens on pentecost it connects us to the historic faith all the way back to the first people of god that were slaves in egypt we are connected with them through the the festivals and feasts through the the events that happen on exactly the right times god is incredible at this He wants us to see this. He wants us to make these connections and know that that, that he's had a plan all along and we're part of that. But also that we are connected with historic faith through when things happen. The signs that happen, the the day it happens, it all all takes us back to historic faith. The Holy Spirit comes in this passage. It empowers the church. It gives birth to the church. It gives the church its mission. We will take the message of God to the world in all languages, all people groups. That's what the church's mission is going to be. Will you be part of that mission? Will you be part of that work of God? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads for a moment. Has this connected something for you that hasn't connected in the past? Do you now understand that, that you need to be a part of this incredible mission of Jesus? You can be. It's as simple as a prayer, and you can just follow along in your own words and say, God, I I understand that I have sinned in my life. I've said things wrong. I've done things wrong. I've thought things wrong. And I know the Bible calls that sin. But I trust that Jesus died on the cross to pay my price. He was my Passover lamb. And I trust that he was resurrected as as a first fruit from the dead to give me life. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, you need to let somebody know. Maybe this morning you're just you're just aching to see what God has next for you. Will you listen to the Holy Spirit? Will you commit to listening? the Spirit that empowers you. No one has more Holy Spirit than you do. You just got to tune in. Will you make that commitment this morning? Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for this day and for how it connects us to historic faith to the first people of God. And we thank you, Father, that you have continued this mission in us. Help us to hear you. Help us to see you. Help us to know our next step. We ask in the name of Jesus.